It is Thursday morning. It is 7 a.m. I am Adam Wright. This is Roadmap to Heaven. I hope you're having a great morning, and I want to thank you for being with us here this morning, right here on Covenant Network. Let's begin our morning together in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. O Most Blessed Mother, Heart of Love, Heart of Mercy, ever listening, caring, consoling, hear our prayer. As your children, we implore your intercession with Jesus, your Son. Receive with understanding and compassion the petitions we place before you today. We are comforted in knowing your heart is ever open to those who ask for your prayer. We trust to your gentle care and intercession those whom we love and who are sick or lonely or hurting. Help all of us, Holy Mother, to bear our burdens in this life until we may share eternal life and peace with God forever. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, it's always good to be with you. And on this Thursday morning, that's certainly no exception. I had my uh, little roadmap to Roadmap to Heaven here, and I set it aside, and now I have no idea where I put it. Luckily, I've got it on the computer screen, so I can tell you what's going on on the show today, because that's that's some information you might want. Um, we are going to be continuing our series with Doug Berry today on spiritual warfare, and very important topic for us. I can't say enough about how important it is to know what's going on, that the devil doesn't want you to get to heaven. Satan doesn't want you to get to heaven. The demons don't want you to get to heaven. There's a whole team united against you and against me that do not, that that team does not want us to go to heaven, right? And they're going to push us, tempt us, pull us, engage in every last ounce of spiritual warfare they can to keep us from going to heaven. And how often do we make that easy for them, right? But we'll talk about that with Doug Berry later today. Uh, We got to be holy. That's why we're so adamant about growing in holiness one day at a time, every day through practical things right here on Roadmap to Heaven. We've got to be holy. One of the uh, great ways we can do that is through devotion to the Blessed Mother, because if you're close to the Blessed Mother, you're close to our Lord. If you're close to our Lord, you're close to the Father, and you're surrounded by the Holy Spirit who will be working in your life. It's a very wonderful, beautiful thing Draw close to Mary, Mary takes you to Jesus. Jesus takes us to the Father and in union with the Holy Spirit, and we're surrounded by the triune God who never abandons us. We just have to keep choosing to go to him to freely receive his grace that he offers so generously. So we're going to be talking about a great saint that gives witness to that, one that maybe gets a little overlooked. What do you mean by that? Well, this coming Sunday, August 14th, is the 15th anniversary of what I consider to be Beth and I's first date. There's a little joke about that. She now considers it to be the 15th anniversary of our first date as well. But when we first started dating, there was, you know, I thought I was pretty clear I was taking her out on a date. She, uh, you know, three months later, someone asked us, how long have you been dating? She said, we're just good friends. And I was like, oh, I thought it was three months. But apparently apparently, I've got some, uh, some clarification we've got to do here. Either way, it all worked out in the end. I remember that it's that. I remember that because I thought, oh, it's the Vigil of the Assumption. It was a great date. We went to the Arch, and then we went to Our Lady of the Snows and went to the Shrine and prayed together, and it was it was wonderful, 
right? And then I had to cut things short in the afternoon and say, I'd like to, to stay and uh, walk with you longer, but I've got to go play the evening mass for the vigil of the Assumption. I always think of August 14th as those two things, the vigil of the Assumption and the anniversary of our first date. And I always overlook that it's the feast of a pretty amazing saint, St. Maximilian Colby. So we're going to talk with Father Jeffrey Kirby today about St. Maximilian Colby because we're not on the air with you Sunday and tomorrow we've got the Roadmap Roundup with a fantastic panel coming in. Uh, So we're going to talk about St. Maximilian Colby today, both his devotion to Mary. And again, you want to get close to our Lord, get close to the Blessed Mother, and then you'll get close to our Lord who will take you to the Father in union with the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful thing. We're going to talk about St. Maximilian Colby's devotion to the Blessed Mother. And then uh, in our second segment with Father Kirby, we're going to talk about his martyrdom, which is a pretty amazing story. If you've never heard the story of St. Maximilian Colby's martyrdom, uh, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful testament to the dignity of human marriage. So that's what's ahead on the show today. We need to get a check of the weather with Mike Roberts before we can dive into all of that. So let's go to Mike Roberts now um, for today's check of the weather. Today is the memorial of St. Clair of Assisi. Born in Italy at the end of the 12th century, her baptismal name was Chiara, which is Italian for Claire. Her father and mother, Favarone and Ortolana Offerduccio, were from an ancient Roman family. Her father was a count, and the family had a great love for the Lord. As a child, she was devoted to prayer. As she was growing up, the family looked for a proper husband for her and seemed to have found one when she was in her mid-teens. But all of this changed when Claire heard the preaching of St. Francis of Assisi during a Lenten service. Afterwards, on the evening of Palm Sunday, 1212, she left her father's castle. Some say she escaped and was escorted by her Aunt Bianca to meet St. Francis in a small chapel. There, she received her habit and had her beautiful long hair cut by Francis. Francis directed Claire to enter the Benedictines at a local monastery. After several attempts by her father to retrieve her, Francis sent Claire to another Benedictine monastery near Subasio, where she was later joined by her sister, who took the name Agnes and would become a saint herself. Eventually, other women joined them, including Claire's mother. Still in her early 20s and somewhat reluctantly, Claire accepted the role Francis gave her as abbess, a role she would hold for the rest of her life. Eventually, Francis moved them from the Benedictines to a small dwelling next to the church of San Damiano, and living in poverty, austerity, and seclusion, they became known as the Poor Ladies of San Damiano. The nuns begged for what they needed and then shared what they were given with the poor. Claire would wash the feet of the nuns when they returned. Though she never left San Damiano, Claire became widely known, and popes, cardinals, and bishops came to her seeking guidance. At one point, when an attack by the Saracens seemed imminent, St. Clair had the Blessed Sacrament placed on the walls of San Damiano, and she said, I beseech thee, O Lord, protect these whom I am now unable to protect. After telling the sisters not to be afraid, the Saracens fled. Claire and Francis remained close friends until his death in 1226. After many years of poor health, she died on this day in 1253. St. Clair of Assisi, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. 
Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. It goes right back to that question we were asking yesterday. Lord, how are you calling me to live my vocation today? How are you calling me to live my vocation today? You want richness? Live out what God is calling you to do. We're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. When we come back, we're going to be talking about Sunday's Saint, St. Maximilian Colby, with Father Jeffrey Kirby. Stay tuned. We are back, and we're getting ready for the weekend, and we've got a lot going on this weekend because Sunday, well, in addition to being Sunday, is a day that we dedicate to a saint that we might often overlook. And then when we come back to be on the air with you here on Monday morning, it's going to be a beautiful solemnity, the Solemnity of the Assumption. So a lot going on there. But as is often the case, and I think of this every time I was in a show and a bit part in the chorus, my parents would come faithfully to see the musical, to see me off in a corner somewhere in the chorus and everybody's attention is focused on the star of the show but then later on in life when I started directing musicals back at my grade school and I went back as a teacher there I used to say to the kids in the chorus don't underestimate your presence and your power as part of the show because if you weren't here Well, yeah, you'd have the star out on the stage, but it wouldn't be what it is without the chorus. It adds to the greatness of the show. Now, I don't know how you and I can really add anything to the greatness of God because he's so great without us, and yet he invites us to strive for sainthood so that we can add through his grace some greatness to this whole equation. The star of the show Monday, obviously the Blessed Mother. But on the 14th, we have a saint who actually has a remarkable story, and I think he's okay with being in the chorus, but that's St. Maximilian Colby, and Father Jeffrey Kirby mentioned to me a while back that he would be really excited to share with us about St. Maximilian Colby. So we have him on the phone with us, and and Father Kirby, thanks for being here today. Let's talk about uh, one of the supporting players that's actually got a great story here in the church. Yes, yes, so... St. Maximilian Kobe, as you mentioned, Adam, is, is one of those great voices in the chorus. And you know, he was a, a Franciscan friar in Poland right before World War II. Uh, he died in the Auschwitz concentration camp amid a, an act of heroism. And his entire life was devoted to Our Lady. And there's God's providence that he would die on the eve of her feast day. So even though we sometimes overlook him, I'm sure he's rejoicing in heaven that he was able to die on the eve of her feast day and celebrate the Assumption in her presence, right? But his story begins actually as as a young child. Our Lady appeared to him and offered him two crowns. She basically had one crown of martyrdom, one crown of purity and virginity, and and she asked little Maximilian Kobe, which one do you want? And just to get a sense of his spirit, little Maximilian grabs both of them from Our Lady, right? Both crowns, and he says to Our Lady, I want them both. And he fulfilled in his life both crowns, both chastity and virginity, but also martyrdom. And, and his martyrdom was, of course, one of charity, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about. But, but just in the very beginning that he would have these apparitions of Our Lady, and that he would show this type of zeal and boldness, even in the presence of Our Lady, that he truly wanted to live his entire life as servant, as as a living oblation to God. And, and he did. So, of course, he went on to join the Franciscan Order, he was there in Poland. He's very uh, feverishly increased knowledge of Our Lady and, and devotion to her. And that led him all throughout the world, even into Japan. You know, so 
uh, he gets to Japan, he's uh, going throughout, he's, he's preaching the gospel, and he's promoting devotion to Our Lady, and through that devotion to, you know, obedience of faith to the Lord Jesus. And, and on one occasion he gets to uh, Nagasaki, and he is going to build a merry town. And rather than build it in the city, which would have made sense, he builds it on the side of a mountain. Just to give you an example of, of the life he lived, and they said to him, "That's crazy. Why are you building this on the side of a mountain? It does, this doesn't make any sense." And he says, "Well, this is where Our Lady wants it, right?" And some might recall, some listeners might know that Nagasaki is actually an ancient place of Christian martyrdom. Many Christians died there, so Maximilian was moved and felt called to Nagasaki. He is building this merry town. It's basically a little, a large version of a Catholic parish we could think of, and he built it on the side of a mountain, mountain. and everyone thinking, thinking, what's wrong with this Christian priest? He's, he's crazy, right? Well, that is until years later, a nuclear bomb was dropped in Nagasaki, and if Marytown had not been built where it was, it would have been completely destroyed. But because it was built to Our Lady had asked St. Maximilian, the mountain spared, took the brunt force of that blast, and Marytown was spared, one of the few areas of Nagasaki that was spared from the nuclear blast. So that's just a few stories, and we can keep going at them. That's just a few stories of the life this man lived. Well, Father, I do want to keep going here because one of the things I think of, um, I forget the exact time of this, but in the past few years, so in more recent history than St. Maximilian Kolbe, who actually in the grand scheme of the life of the church is also recent history for us, Pope Francis uh, put forth a new path to sainthood, an offering of life. And when we talk about Roadmap to Heaven here, what's the goal for all of us? The goal is to become saints. And so how do we do that? And it's easy to think of martyrdom, that you know, if you give your life an offering to, you know, someone says, renounce your faith, or I'm going to kill you right here, right now, and, and you do not renounce your faith, that that would be martyrdom. And we think of the many martyrs who have gone before us. But Maximilian Kolbe did not actually die as a martyr in that sense. But when we think of this new path to sainthood, the offering of life, he's actually a really great example for us of what Pope Francis is talking about. Yes, very much. And Pope Francis very much formalized in a very catechetical and helpful way what John Paul II had almost, you know, had coined the term, almost shooting from the hip, uh, martyr of charity. And of course, as you're describing it, this becomes formalized uh, with new language under Pope Francis, but the, the story is told that when Maximilian Kobe was beatified, everyone was waiting to see, is he going to be a confessor? So, meaning that he was a great teacher of the faith, who suffered for the faith, or is she going to be a martyr? And <laughs> Adam, it came down to see what vestments the Holy Father was wearing at the beatification ceremony. If he was going to be a confessor, he'd be white. If he was going to be a martyr, he'd be red. And of course, the Pope comes out and he's dressed in red. And so they're, oh, he's a martyr. But as you're describing, people would ask, well, how can he be a martyr? He really didn't die for the faith as our early martyrs did or other martyrs in terms of denounce your faith or, or die. So how can we understand this? And, and John Paul II began what Pope Francis has now formalized and, and described you know, more fully, that this is the type of martyr of martyrdom of charity that that it was human dignity, it was selfless service to one's neighbor that has led them, Maximilian Kobe and so many others, to die for the gospel 
not in a, in a formal sense, you know, direct sense, but very much the spirit of the gospel. So, so Maximilian Kolbe, in many, in many respects, was also a trailblazer <laughs> in helping us to understand this, this new aspect of, of martyrdom. If I can just, in terms of Maximilian Kolbe's life, our whole understanding of the Immaculate Conception, which was declared formal dogma in 1854, that whole development happened. It was a dogma, the Church says, yes, this is, you know, the, the core of our faith, and we had a general understanding, but really it was St. Maximilian Kolbe's whole spirituality and his teachings on the Immaculate Conception that helped us to fully understand and develop even the Church's understanding of the Immaculate Conception, because he very much saw that Our Lady has this close relationship with the Holy Spirit, and that relationship with the Holy Spirit then allows her this uh, unique grace, the singular grace of being preserved from all sin. So, you know, I, I want to discuss that, too, because in addition to being a great champion of our faith, in addition to being a mystic and, and someone deep in the spiritual life, he was also very much focused, and, and he knew it was a priority that the faithful would understand, know, that they would, we would know our faith and understand what the Lord Jesus gave to us. So in many respects, we can say he was also an eminent teacher, Of our faith, and and if we can talk maybe about his martyrdom, if you wanted to, to die, yeah, I there, think we should because there might be some of our listeners saying, "Well, well, hold on, how did he die?" You you, you kind of teased this with that, Adam. You kind of teased this <laughs> with that, Father. Uh, what what are you talking here? An offering of life, a martyr of charity. So we have to fast forward past all of his work and in, in his devotion to the Blessed Mother, because there's an event that changes the course of history, and that's World War II. I hate to say that we are going to teach you just a little bit longer as we talk about St. Maximilian Kolbe's death. We're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven, but when we come back, we will continue talking about this wonderful saint with Father Jeffrey Kirby. Don't go anywhere. The B1 Prayer Eternal Father, at the Last Supper, your Son prayed that all who bear His name might be one. Send the Holy Spirit upon us to make us one in Christ. Strengthen our faith in you. Lead us to love one another. Unite our service to our brothers and sisters, and join us together as we build your church in our midst. Take away divisions that hinder our unity in Christ, so we may, with one mind and voice, as members of one body, praise and glorify you. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. We are back, and you know, before the break, we said we were teasing you. We, we keep talking about St. Maximilian Kolbe's death, and well, the, the wait is over. Now it's time to talk about how he died. Yeah, so World War II comes, the Nazi occupation of Poland, and the Poles, their story, in my opinion, has not yet fully been told. Many people do not realize that one of every two priests in Poland died in heroic martyrdom. Of the faith, I mean, there's a whole monument to, in the Dachau concentration camp to Catholic priests because of their heroism. And that goes for the religious, many of the lay professors. John Paul II, his parish priests were Salesians. They were taken to the concentration camps and drowned in their own feces. Many of his of John Paul II's professors at the Jagiellonian University died martyrs. So a powerful story. But Nazi occupation happens, and the Poles are strong. They are completely emboldened by the faith, and they speak boldly. And Maximilian Kolbe was right there, and he was a Franciscan. His order were staunch in the defense of 
human dignity of the Jewish people, of their fellow Poles who are being persecuted. And that, of course, that staunch defense, of course, eventually had consequences. And Gestapo uh, come one night to the friary and you know, load up all the friars. And Maximilian Kolbe was the superior of the community. And as each brother was being taken out of the friary, Maximilian would simply bow to them and said, would bow to the brother and say to him, love conquers. And that was kind of his his maxim that he would always say in the midst of struggles and difficulties, love conquers. Like, like we got this. <laughs> I mean, so uh, love conquers. And, of course, he goes on to Auschwitz himself, noted for his heroism, selfless service. And on one occasion, a, a man, a prisoner, escapes, and whenever that would happen, 10 other prisoners would be killed in summary fashion. And the commandant of the camp during morning formation with the with the prisoners there uh, would randomly choose 10, which he did. And one gentleman cried out, uh, you know, mercy, that he, he was a father and a, and a husband and father and asked for mercy. The commandant, of course, couldn't care less. And um, when Maximilian Kobe, the accounts are he broke formation and approached the commandant. Now, now Adam, I've actually stood at that spot at the Auschwitz concentration camp. There are four towers surrounding that area. With there would have been there are four towers and there would have been soldiers in each of those towers because the constant fear was rebellion among the prisoners. Anyone who broke formation was to be shot on sight. The fact that this Catholic priest, Maximilian Kobe, could break formation and he was in the back, approached the commandant, and not one of the sharpshooters in these towers saw him. He approached the commandant, and they said the commandant was, was visibly startled that a prisoner got to him, right? To the point where he yells out, who are you? <laughs> you know? And Maximilian Kobe just said, I am a Catholic priest. And honestly, we could almost broaden that and say he could just as well have said, I am a Christian, right? And he offered to take the man's place, and they allowed him to. And Maximilian Kolbe goes in the starvation cell with the nine other men. Normally, in a starvation cell, the prisoners become animals because of the hunger and the starvation. But not in this case. Maximilian Kolbe led them in prayers, in song. Eventually, the nine men died. Maximilian Kolbe would not die. They moved into another starvation cell. He would die. Eventually, they let him out, and he was shot and killed. And, of course, as he's being killed, he is, of course, offering his life to our Lord, to Our Lady. And and what I like about this story, among many things, is it shows in the contemporary era how one sacrament of vocation serves another, that this priest would die in defense of holy matrimony and married life. He took the man's place because he was a husband and father. You know, that man was actually at his canonization. Wow. That's, yeah. that's something and to think his, of. And his children and grandchildren. <laughs> wow. Well, Father, you know, before we wrap up here, I think there, there's two takeaways for us. Uh, the Marian one's a very easy one, and we're actually going to talk about Marian devotion some more on Monday as we talk about the great feast, uh, the solemnity of the Assumption. But the other is really to talk about that upholding to the dignity of marriage. Now, odds are good that neither you or I, friends, are going to be called 
to stand in place of another prisoner and die for them to defend the dignity of their marriage. But what about in the workplace? You know, maybe you're going to be in the office one day and there's something that needs to be wrapped up and someone's going to have to stay late and you might have the ability to stay and someone else may need to get home because there's a situation at home with their spouse or with their children and it would just not be a good night for them to have to stay late to wrap whatever up. Could you make that sacrifice and stay late? Or or maybe it's going to look like something else. Maybe, you know, that family down the street that somebody's sick or it's a joyous occasion, they've welcomed a new baby into the house. Can you give up a little bit of yourself to make a meal and to take it to them? And uh, grandparents out there listening, I'm just going to throw this one your way. One of the, the keys that Beth and I have had for our marriage, and I think, Father, you would probably agree that most married couples need this, is a regular date night. And so whether you're grandma and grandpa or aunt and uncle or just a good friend, could you maybe give of yourself every now and then to say, hey, I'm going to watch your kids so you two can go out on a date. These are all very practical things we can do to give of ourselves to support the vocation of marriage. Amen. I'm so glad you said that. I think that everyone who's been called to the sacrament of holy matrimony, uh, my, my counsels defend the sacrament defend your vocation, and difficulty or struggles, accident COVID comes through, love conquers. <laughs> love conquers. <laughs> love know, conquers. Father, I think you just came up with our next bumper sticker that we're going to put out there. Uh, you know, Father Wade Menezes gave us one, that errors perish and cease to be when people get to know the truth. That was Thomas Aquinas. This one's much simpler. Love conquers, St. Maximilian Colby. Uh, Father Kirby's going to be back with us on Monday morning. We're going to talk about the Blessed Mother and the Solemnity of the Assumption. But until then, Father, could we uh, close in prayer through the intercession of St. Maximilian Colby? Absolutely. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gifts that you pour into our hearts. We thank you for the gift of your Son and for our salvation in Him. We thank you for our older brothers and sisters, your friends, the Holy Ones. We thank you for Maximilian Colby. May his intercession continue to help us to draw closer to you. We seek to love and to serve you with all our hearts. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. We're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. Stay tuned. Prayer in a time of waiting. All-powerful and ever-living God, guard our churches, our homes, our schools, our hospitals, our factories, and all the places where we gather. Deliver us from harm and peril. Protect our land and the peoples from enemies within and without. Grant an early peace with victory founded upon justice. Instill in the hearts and minds of men and women everywhere a firm purpose to live forever in peace and goodwill toward all. This we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Are you enjoying this podcast? Well, if you are, did you know that Covenant Network offers great programming 24 hours a day on 43 stations in five states, plus streaming online? You can find our schedule, your local station, or listen online at www.ourcatholicradio.org. That's O-U-R catholicradio.org. This week we've been talking about spiritual warfare with Doug Barry, as you've heard me say every day. And Doug, I'm going to go back to the first thing we talked about, the reality of all of this, and who our enemy is, and what the enemy's tactics are, and what the enemy's attributes are, and that this is a spiritual being. You know, the devil's a spiritual being, and who am I to fight against the devil? And when I look at the matchup, I'm getting kind of nervous here, but we're going to talk about that today. We shouldn't be overconfident 
but we shouldn't despair either because we have a role in all of this. We do. And, you know, there's that term about staying in your lane. And there's a lot of truth to that. Military use it. You know, you find it anywhere. Really, you think about a football game and you got a punt return or a kickoff return. And, you know, the team that kicks off is supposed to fill gaps across left and right of the field. And obviously the receiving team is going to try to juke left and right and try to pull people out of their lane so they can open up a hole. They get the blockers in there and bust up those lanes. And if everybody stays in their lane, they're going to plug all those holes. And for the most part, you're going to keep that ball from advancing down the field too much. So with that idea, think about spiritually speaking. I have a lane. My lane, number one, is my own soul. I have authority over my own soul. When we remember our baptismal vows, I reject Satan. I reject all of his empty words. I reject all of his lies and all of his empty promises. I am rejecting that. I can claim authority over my own soul. You can actually bind demons. This is from exorcists who will say this. You can bind demons over your own soul. The name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And don't ever, ever do this except in the name of Jesus or through the precious blood of Jesus. I command any evil spirits attacking me right now to stop. And you can name the specifics of it. You know, they're attacking me in greed, anger, lust, jealousy, gluttony, pride, depression, discouragement, frustration, anger, whatever you name it. You can, I think I said anger twice. Maybe maybe there's an anger issue. Anyway, the idea here is we have got to claim authority. In the name of Jesus, I command you, stay the hell away from me. Basically, literally what you're saying. I also have authority, though, over those that God has entrusted to my care in certain ways. Like over my wife, for example, over my children, up until a point when my children become adults and move on and take their own choices and lives and so forth, then that changes. But understand, though, if you're trying to bind demons or pray in a certain authority position over others that are not given to you by God's order, then you're opening yourself up for more attack from the enemy because the enemy loves it when we get out of our lane. They love it when we start throwing authority around that we don't have. You know, as Father Chad Ripperger would say, he's a great, great exorcist. And he would say that the demons are lawyers from hell. They understand law. They work in the objective. They don't care about how you feel about this stuff. They'll use your feelings against you more than anything, but they don't care whether you feel. My intention was to really help this person. So I extended my hand in position of authority and I prayed over them and I cast out demons. Yeah, but that person isn't under your authority. You don't have that. I can't pray over you. I can never pray over your wife and kids, Adam, and and vice versa. It just doesn't work. It's out of the lane. So everybody's got to learn about the lane that they're in, the authority they have, and then exercise and engage in that way. And when you do, the demons, they're terrified by that. They can't stand when people take that position of authority that they have been given authentically by God and use that position. The demons hate that. And it puts them on their heels, and that's definitely what we want to do. This may be a bit of a caveat here, but there would be some who would say, well, then what do I do for others? If I don't have that authority, does this mean I can't pray for them? And it's like, no, because we're forgetting then that there are some saints and angels that have that authority. And I can think of no one better than the Blessed Mother. You see a friend that's under attack? Well, your role might be pray the rosary for that person and ask the Blessed Mother to fulfill her role because she'll do it. Yeah, there are two types of prayers in spiritual combat, really, that you hear like Father Ripperger and other exorcists talk about, deprecatory and imprecatory. Imprecatory prayers, think M or I, I, M, precatory, have 
are prayers that actually speak of an authority that I have. So an imprecatory prayer, I have authority over my wife. I have authority over my own soul. I can pray those binding prayers. Deprecatory prayers are exactly what you just said. I'm calling on the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm calling on the Blessed Mother's intercession, St. Joseph's intercession, any of the angels and saints. Those deprecatory prayers, you can pray every single day for everybody on the planet if you want. And in one sense, we have to think about this. It's if you if you question whether or not you should do imprecatory or deprecatory approach in prayer, you know, look, if you're concerned, then just defer to the deprecatory. It's safer because the demons again will mess with us if we're claiming authority we don't have as an imprecatory prayer. Deprecatory, you're constantly going to our blessed Lord, our blessed mother, Saint Joseph, and you're deferring to them, you're giving it to them. That will work. That's powerful. But we again, as we mentioned previously in another clip we did, we have to have an attitude that I'm doing this and I'm counting on it. Yeah. I'm believing it. You think about that hemorrhaging woman, 12 years. I just got to touch the hem of Jesus' cloak. And the healing power came out of him, he said. It, healing power has come out of me. And he says to her, your faith has been your cure. We know the healing power came from him. So he obviously did the curing, but he says it's your faith that receives it. So pray these deprecatory prayers with faith that God's going to intercede for those people that you're concerned about. All right. Well, tomorrow, Doug, we're going to be talking about the end of the battle and the the good news in all of this. Until then, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, my friend. Our Lady of Perpetual Help. Oh, what consolation, what sweetness, what confidence, what emotion fill my soul when I pronounce thy sacred name or even only think of thee. I thank God for having given thee for my good, so sweet, so powerful, so lovely a name, but I will not be content with merely pronouncing thy name. Let my love for thee prompt me ever to hail thee, mother of perpetual help. We are back, and you know one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves about moral relativism is how is rationalizing sin ever going to lead us to something good? That's that's one thing I have to ask myself in my life because in, in many areas of my life I say, well, you know, I know that I should, you know, take something very simple at home, that I should lay down my life for my wife who just worked two days in a row, 12, 13-hour shifts, and she had one request. When I come home, would it be too much to ask to see the sink emptied of dirty dishes, the dishwasher running or ran, and just the sink clean? And I could sit there and come up with 30 reasons. Well, you know, Beth, I know you really wanted that. I know you really wanted that. But I had to, uh, I had to do this, and this, this was important. And was it really more important than honoring my wife? Now, I'm using a very benign example here. I like to do that sometimes to get the point across. There have been times in my life, I'll spare you the details, though, that um, you know I have used that rationalization to do things that are wrong. And luckily, luckily, my conscience kicked in, and I had a contrite spirit, a contrite heart, and I went to the sacrament reconciliation. I made amends for the behavior. I did penance. I received absolution and all of those beautiful things that come from the, the uh, sacrament. But 
So many times in our life, you know, it's like Father Gorian was saying the other day that we talked about. The devil gets a foothold in, in something seemingly benign that we then rationalize and it snowballs and snowballs and snowballs into something bigger. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Mary, Queen of Peace, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We want to thank Father Kirby and Doug Berry for being with us on the show today. And uh, tomorrow morning on the Roadmap Roundup, we're going to have a special guest panel. That's all I'm going to say. You have to tune in. I think you'll find it to be a good time. Until then, for Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Pray your rosary.